Today's show is sponsored by our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. This month, celebrating one year of being the official sponsor of the DVR Podcast Network. Thank you, Cufflinks. Go to Cufflinks.com all November. Use code Disney Plus to save 20% off Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars. Elevate your style when you walk out in the morning. Look good, feel good. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Use that code Disney Plus. Also use our code DVR20. Save 20% off your order anytime, no minimum. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Welcome back to Daily DVR Does Watchmen. My name is Axel, and my co-host today and every Friday is Roberto Suarez. And today's a special day. Happy birthday, Roberto. Thank you so much. My <laughs> last year in the 40s, celebrating it here with you, Talking Watchmen. Oh, your last year, huh? My last year in the 40s. Next year, I'll be turning 50. So oh. this, is, this is the big 49. <laughs> okay, so I wasn't sure how old you I wasn't sure how old you were. I don't know if we had ever talked about that. So I'm 45, so I'm not that far away from you. You're not now. that far away from me, yep. <laughs> no, it's coming on fast, but you're celebrating your birthday in the right way, which is doing a podcast about Watchmen. That's right. I can't think of a better place to be celebrating my birthday. <laughs> TikTok, baby, TikTok. TikTok that's right. <laughs> All right, well, today we're going to be diving deeper into and reading some feedback about Watchmen Season 1, Episode 5, entitled Little Fear of Lightning. You can, of course, send us feedback to dvrpodcast at gmail.com and check out our website at dvrpodcast.com. All right, I got so I got three quick things, and it's on to the news and into the episode. Giveaway time. Um, I announced a giveaway a couple episodes ago, but I want to be more specific and get really get it going. So our sponsor, Cufflinks.com, is celebrating Disney Plus this month. So I'm opening up this giveaway to anyone that emails. So all the people that emailed feedback already, it's going to be kind of like a season-long feedback giveaway. And you're going to have your choice of some awesome Star Wars, Marvel, or Disney stuff from Cufflinks.com. I'll announce the winner on the final episode with Roberto. So that'll be fun. Send us an email, dvrpodcast at gmail.com. And like I said, anyone who had already sent feedback is automatically entered. What a deal. Also, this Sunday, I'm going to be live on the YouTube with Hacks Dogman, Justin Thomas, right after episode six ends. Check the show notes for the link. And finally, I want to take a moment to congratulate Brett and his wife, Casey, on the birth of their new baby boy, Quentin. We're sending all of our love your way, guys. Congratulations. You know, you've all heard. Congratulations. Yes. Congratulations to them. That's great. You have like 18 children. So that's uh... <laughs> just four. Just four. Okay. <laughs> See, I only have one. So any more than one is like so many to me. Um, After a while, they start taking care of themselves, yeah. which is really nice. So <laughs> they, they're just maybe they'll clone themselves one day. Hey, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Brett and Casey have cloned themselves and they got a little baby boy. So. Enjoy this time. You know, you've heard Brett on Westworld Theorycast. Uh, we covered, we talked about, what was that? We talked about Rushmore, I think. Was that with Brett over, over the summer? He's awesome, dude. So congratulations. Uh, yeah, that's all the news we have from our land. Let's get into some Watchmen yep. news. The only news we have this week is some PDPedia stuff. And this was some really fun stuff. This is, of course, the HBO kind of ARG, really just... Uh, bonus material that they're releasing mm -hmm. at PDPD on HBO.com. 
The first thing they had this um, this week was an ad for nostalgia. The pills, the medication, yeah, yeah the, pills. the medication, and you have a little background on that too. Yeah, um, that we'll talk about later. But with this ad, it's kind of like a you know like a typical. Kind of Phar- pharma- it's like a typical pharmaceutical yeah. brochure <laughs> with all yes. the side effects and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I wanted to talk about that because this was interesting. Yeah. So what it does say is that it is – because I had some question about that. It is made specifically only for the specific user from their brain chemistry. Right. You should it's not- like a genetically engineered drug specific to the user. Exactly, and you should not take someone else's. Mm-hmm. It says that really bold. Do not take yeah. someone else's. It's also highly addictive. Uh-huh. And they say it's for people suffering from memory loss, dementia, Alzheimer's, and psychic trauma. So I wonder if, because that's one of the things I was thinking about with all the looking glass stuff we have this episode is we see him in like a support group. I wonder if nostalgia was ever used as a drug to treat people for the post-traumatic squid disorder. Or I'm, or I'm wondering if nostalgia is a distilled version of the psychic blast used in the squid technology. Well, they both come from vape and true. They both true. That's yep. right. So that's what we should start calling it from now on because everything that was true started as vape. As vape, exactly. So she's, she's been basically taking all the IP that she acquired from him mm-hmm. and continue to develop it. So I thought this was a pretty cool ad that told us a little bit more about this world, mm-hmm. not just it was also pretty funny. Um, yeah. There was another kind of ad, and what it was was the pamphlet that we saw in the show for Extra Dimensional Anxiety and You. And uh, it has that sad cat looking out a window, which is always cats are depressing. You know, yes, I don't know, but it's also. I think it's also maybe a reference to Schrodinger's cat. Oh, I like. Okay, I like it. <laughs> you know, with all the talk, you know, being a kind of a famous a physics experiment, the whole like or a physics mind mind yeah. experiment, uh, the Schrodinger's cat thing. So I'm wondering if that's part of the reason they included him there, right? Where the observer affects the experiment, exactly. which is the lesson of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as we've seen now, as science has got, that's become so popular because then it was adopted by, um, a new type of physics of like quarks and quantum. Right. Physics. It's all part of quantum. It's all yes. part of quantum physics. Yeah. Yep. Which, which Damon Lindelof loves by the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I wanted to say too, is I thought that this was kind of a interesting, uh, nod not only to the leftovers and Damon's examination of grief, um, which was three seasons of that for the leftovers, and also love, of course, and finding your way back from something like that. But I thought it was really interesting the way they handled it the whole episode, and I thought it was kind of cool that they included this little thing here because a lot of it, a lot of the verbiage they use is really from. People, if you have had anxiety, and in my life I have, the, the 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 words that they're using and even the way they talked in the group where they're like, you know, there are other worlds, but I am in this one, you know, yeah. kind of talking yeah, about it, It's control. very reminiscent. It's very reminiscent of other type of uh, – of group counseling kind of approaches or, or almost like a 10-step, 12-step type of program yeah. kind of thing. 
Yeah, it was really resonant. I thought it was really awesome. So this was kind of fun. You could check that out. And um, the last one was another memo from Petey. And I find that the memos from Petey have, I mean, not only are they really long, this one's like two and a half pages, uh, but they give you the most backstory. And this is making reference to the part of the episode that we see that Looking Glass is watching when Hooded Justice um, is having sex with the other with Captain Metropolis, with Captain Metropolis, mm-hmm. um, and which was part, which was an episode of the uh, of show, Ameri- American Hero Story, uh-huh. yeah, American Hero Story that we've been watching this entire time, mm-hmm. um, and this talked about basically it goes into more how throughout this whole these PDPedia files, PD has been disgusted with this show. He thinks it's it lies, it panders to the lowest yeah. common denominator, and it kind of disrespects the true history right. of these masked heroes. Right. Because he's, um, he's a scholar of the masked yes. heroes, right? So from his perspective, this is kind of tainting <laughs> their image. Yes. Lube man is a scholar. We know he's lube man. Come on. I, I think, I think he is. I mean, you would think that with his obsession with superheroes, he's probably obsessed yeah. with wanting to be one himself. Of course. I mean, this, this, when I was reading this, I was like, he's definitely lube man. But the interesting thing was that this episode was titled Internal Affairs, mm-hmm. and it not only showed this scene we see with Hooded Justice, it showed the attempted rape of Silk Spectre 1 by the comedian who are Laurie's parents. Right. We don't get to see it, but Petey comments on it. Yeah, Petey comments on it. So it's kind of cool that he like fills us in on what happened in the rest of the episode, and he talks a lot about it. You can read that. And it really it, – it, it shows also – now, these are actually written – this is dated September fifteenth, two 2019. So it's technically before the events of the show. Right. So this is before he actually had sex with Laurie and they, you know, right. they got He mentions closer. in the memo that he, get, that he gets an advanced copy of the episode. Yes. But he also – you can see through the writing that he is very protective of Laurie. Yes. And he's like, this is terrible that she has to watch this. She's an, a fellow agent. Be respectful. So it's kind of interesting in that way that he already – it shows that he already had the hots for her. A little bit of a crush. Yes. Yep. He, yep. Yep. he had a crush. <laughs> he had a crush on her. I think I have a song like that. But um, this which was also, pretty cool. Which also explains all the lube. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, well, that's a big blue dildo. But um, yeah, I, know. <laughs> I did want to make reference to in this memo, they call this attempted rape the incident. And that is, of course, very famous from Lost. If you're a Lost mm. fan, Damon loves to reuse stuff, so that's kind of fun that they like in big in big bold. It's like the incident, yeah, um, that had happened. All right, um, now one more thing. Go going ahead. back to that nostalgia brochure, yeah. Did you notice that there's an 800 number on the brochure? Did you call it? Well, this here's the thing: they've changed it since the last time I tried it because it was originally an 866 number. Okay. And I called it and it didn't work. But now I noticed in this version, they've updated it with a new number. So I haven't tried the new number. So that might be something What's we might the want to try at some point. What's the number? It's 1-800 uh-huh. and then the letters FDTA. So I'm not sure what those are. Uh, F-T-D-T-A. Oh, F-D-T-A. 
Dash 108. One oh oh one oh eight one of the lost okay well all the lost numbers all yeah, right let's call numbers. it we're calling yeah. it live on the show <laughs> so oh it's I'm busy sure. oh it's busy okay because yeah. the, the the previously it it had an eight six six number and I tried it and it uh it just said that it was disconnected so yeah too many um, people are calling it I don't know I don't know what 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 if they're trying to hide something in there but yeah call and then oh, FDTA man. is the in, is interesting because that's the <laughs> If you notice, it's the if the FDA that normally approves drugs, but now in this in this uh, Watchmen parallel universe is the FDTA, and I don't know. At some point in the brochure, it's not, and I don't know if they changed it here. I was looking through it, but it mentioned something about how tobacco tobacco is illegal, which we heard from uh, we heard from um, uh, Looking Glass in yes. the episode that you know is a controlled substance and. Where does it say it here? It says it. It says it. I think it says it in the section where you should do not take nostalgia. Um, I can't find it right now. I'm having trouble finding it. But there, it did say that it was um, illegal. Uh, here, the FDTA reminds you that tobacco usage is illegal in all 51 states and most commonwealths. So I'm wondering if that T is for tobacco. Is maybe FDTA is now regulating tobacco as well, and that's why it's changed from the FDA. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So All I found right. that interesting. And then the other thing too, is that there's a little logo for the true company. And I can't help but think that it has a somewhat of a creature like shape, not squint necessarily, but I'm thinking almost like it looked like a bat. Yes. So I saw that. I'm wondering if there's going to be a, a companion beast uh, to the squid in a future episode, because it does have a kind of a weird, I don't know, almost a little bit reminiscent of the of the symbol that we see of the that looks like the eye of the squid in some other areas, but it but it has wings on it. So I don't know if there's something being planned there with some other type of creature and the true logo may be perhaps a hint of that. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing that and I it looked kind of almost like an ancient symbol or something like it it looked like a character or something yeah. of that nature. Yeah, it's a, it's got three legs and wings, so it's just kind of, I mean, it's supposed to be the shape of a T, but it does have almost like an organic quality to it, like it's some kind of a creature of a, a, a symbol representation of a creature. Oh, I'm sure we'll find out. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not that there's a it's it's not that there's a, a different number. It's that it's a second number. There's two numbers oh, okay. on the brochure. That's what it is. So on, in the first section of the brochure. There is a number to contact the true company, and that one is the one that gave me a uh, a disconnected number. Uh, and then there's the FDTA number at the end. So there's two phone numbers on the brochure, but sadly, it doesn't seem like any of them are connected to anything right now. I'm going to try to keep on calling those numbers. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe there's a little <laughs> Easter egg hidden there somewhere. Um, I just wanted to mention really quickly, I'll put, I don't have too much to say about this, but it's really a fun read. Um, Slash Film had an article where they interviewed Damon about what would have happened to what happened to Robert Redford in this world mm -hmm. and yeah. how like alternate movies and people who starred in them instead of him and what happened to the Sundance Film Festival and all this stuff about Robert Redford and uh, Andy on our Facebook group posted it. So I'll put that in the show notes too. That's kind of fun. I don't know if that really has, I don't really think that has too much bearing on the plot lines within the show, but it's kind of fun. And one thing I will mention is that they say that he actually lost to Nixon in 88 and he won in 92. 
He won against Ford. So it was Nixon never lost the election. Nixon died. And then Ford became president. And then he was able to beat Ford. Interesting. And I also, I don't know if you know, I hadn't noticed this, but reading some of the older PDPedia files from a few weeks ago, it appears that Redford has announced that he is not running for re-election. So that is, uh, that's an interesting note there that uh, the whole stuff about uh, Senator Keene coming up as a prospective candidate um, is in uh, is in under the in the uh, the political environment in which apparently Redford isn't running again. He's decided oh. to retire. Yep. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, yeah, cool. There's an article from the New Frontiersman called uh, "White Flight to Mars," I believe is. Yeah, the I remember that. And it says that uh, that they're you know the, the 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 paper is like super conservative, right? It, the idea is that this is a super conservative thing and so it says in a paragraph just two days ago this publication celebrated that the eclectic horseman's decision not to seek re-election finally uh, so uh, with an epic and quite costly special edition so eclectic horseman of course they're making that a reference to robert redford's film electric horseman uh, <laughs> and that apparently uh, uh apparently he has announced that he's not going to run for re-election man you know, this show is nuts. <laughs> um, I was listening to uh, the Tower of Babel podcast, Friends yeah. of Our Pod, and they are – actually, Dan is going to come on for the initial reaction after the penultimate episode, after episode eight. So I look forward to that. But they were kind of talking about the world building, and I, I, take, I, I try to take a little bit of a step back this week and think a mm-hmm. little bit more about like if I didn't know – if I hadn't read the comic or try to compare this to another show that's this dense. And I can't even compare it to Westworld because after like the first three or four episodes, you found more stuff out about the world that Westworld is in. But you at least knew the kind of the rules of the park, mm-hmm. you know, there were always what happened in the outside world. But in a lot of times, you don't know what happens in the outside, right? But right. in this show, it's like they just drop crazy shit all the time. Like we didn't know about nostalgia pills last week that they were going to play a big part. Like when they're talking about the pills, we about all the you know the um, the, uh, the the uh, the warping that they can do. I'm losing the the term for it. The trans, not the trans dimensional, but um, uh, sending people for what they did with the basketball. Yes, yes, yeah. So teleporting, teleporting. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. How could I forget the word teleporting? It's part of my everyday <laughs> life. Um, you know, it's just like every time we're tuning in, we have to really be grounded by our characters and by the emotion. And I think that's why they're doing such a great job, and that's why this episode really spoke to me because. Among all this kind of like hurricane of mythology and information, they still take the time to build a character like Looking Glass and to relate the experiences of the mythology to his personal psyche in such a way that I I leave the episode and even though it was all this craziness and, and then I read Pedipedia and all this, I still just kind of think of tim blake nelson's face and how how this affected him and the alarm and it just it's really touching in a way that is so much more uh than just the crazy mysteries and theories though i love all of that 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a testament going back to the original book and to Alan Moore's writing because he's allowed these guys to be able to world build. But really what they're doing is world expanding. They're building on what he already set up. And so they can do something like drop a term like nostalgia and immediately not only bring something new into the story, but relate it to things that happened back in the original text. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, uh, so much of the credit goes to the richness of the world that was already set up ahead of time by the original text. Amazing stuff, man. You want to get into it? Yeah. By the way, the New Frontiersman's preferred candidate for president is Dr. Manhattan. You have to read that article. <laughs> it is bonkers. It is completely bonkers. There's even, there's even a quote that says, free at last, free at last. If we can get a McConnell or a Keene or a Limbaugh elected in 2020, we'll be free at last. Oh. That is how crazy this newspaper <laughs> is. So anyway, I'll just I'll just leave that with you there. But it is, yeah, it's very, very interesting. All right. So let's get into the deep dive of uh, some of the bits and pieces that I found rather interesting in this week's episode. And we have a another episode starting with a title from uh, literature. So the title for this episode, which is uh, The uh, Little Fear of Lightning, actually comes, uh, you know, interestingly enough, from who is considered the father of science fiction, Jules Verne. Yeah. And it's specifically from his book, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which also features a giant squid uh, and also features a character, Captain Nemo, who is very much reminiscent of Adrian Veidt. He was this person who wanted to basically rebuild the world. Mm -hmm. uh, he kind of recognized that humans overall were corrupt. He saw himself as, as being above all humans, kind of being the next evolution of humanity, somebody who had perfected his knowledge and perfected himself. And so he was going to create a new world under the ocean uh, 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 atop the remnants of the old world uh, that humans had created. And he happens to be a favorite character of Alan Moore's. Alan Moore has uh, written another uh, graph series of graphic novels called The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which feature Captain Nemo as one of its characters. So found that some, some interesting uh, uh, you know, interconnections between literature and other works. And by the way, if you've ever... Uh, watch the or heard of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie. Please avoid that. That's, a, that's about as egregious as as uh, American hero story is to Petey in the way that he describes that. Uh, it's it's a terrible adaptation of his work. But check out his books uh, on the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. It's basically a literary literature. Uh, it's it's a uh, it, he he does with. Heroes from Literature, a Avengers type of team, bringing heroes from literature together to deal with situations that occurred in literature. Uh, so, for example, his team of heroes uh, have to deal with the Martian invasion by H.G. Wells in The War of the World. So it's really, really cool stuff what he does. Um, and he's also known for somebody who does a lot of this PDPDS-type uh, type of background work when you get an alan moore work whether it's watchman or anything else he always is inserting news articles and supplemental information and kind of things that go on a tangent from the original work again doing a lot of that world building yeah that's awesome so and also if you were uh 
paid attention to the when the uh, radiologist enters the meeting with Looking Glass, he turns to her and says, "Friend of Nemo." So interesting. That's kind of like Alcoholics Anonymous, I guess, was called Friends of Bill. Friends of Nemo, of course. And that's probably, again, in reference to being being a a group that meets because of the squid incident. Because of the squid. Yeah, yeah. That's very, very relevant to that. So, uh, all right. So, uh, Looking Glass, what a phenomenal portrayal by Tim Blake Nelson in this episode. Uh, and, And really... I think that the piece that comes through here is Kim is as this truly tragic character. Uh, I love the duality and the kind of the way in which the character of looking glass was paralleled with the person that he is in real life. You know, we have this person who he, he has a day job of being a market researcher or like a cover job, even though behind the scenes, he's a police interrogator. And so he appears to have this incredible insight into other people, the the marketing consultants kind of using him to help them gauge, you know, whether or not these ad campaigns are being effective. But when it comes to those that he is close to, he is unable to read them and he is constantly being duped by other people. You know, we, we see the encounter with the girl in Hoboken at the beginning of the episode. We see that his marriage didn't go well. So obviously, you know, there was something there where he didn't see that coming. Um, the woman from the 7th Cavalry uh, totally dupes him. And even the alarm company is like he's a he's a victim even of this company that, uh, you know, exploits people's fears of extra dimensional stuff for their uh, uh, co- commercial gain. Yeah. Uh, I found it interesting, too, that the woman who... Uh, who uh, uh, he meets in the group is a radiologist. You know, she sees right through him, right? Uh, uh, you Great know, what, point. Like, like, like he's an x-ray. Um, he is literally, uh, uh, the reason for his mask, uh, not only is it reflected in the episode many years ago when the squid fell from the sky and he found himself in a hall of mirrors naked when the incident happened, but it's also a literal tinfoil hat that he wears to avoid any other type of psychic uh, uh, encounter in the future. Um, he, he is exa- he, even though he examines other through two-way mirrors, he himself is, is transparent to the people who are able to, to kind of exploit him or take advantage of him. And now uh, we are set up with a really interesting uh, uh, situation for Looking Glass by the end of this episode. Because we know that the Seventh Cavalry wanted Angela out of the out of out of the picture at least for the time being, and so he has, in a way, served his purpose by framing Angela. And at the end of the episode, we see the Seventh Cavalry arriving at his home, locking and loading their weapons. So has he served his purpose? But now he's one loose string that needs to needs to be tied up. Or could there be something happening? Are, are we being thrown a, a red herring here? I, I had a sense that maybe the Seventh Cavalry know that uh, maybe there's some type of danger waiting for Looking Glass, and they're there to protect him, perhaps. Uh, or are they there to take him to serve some other purpose? So we're not sure. But that rather ominous ending, I guess, will be we'll find out. Perhaps not in the next episode. It might have to be waiting for a couple of episodes down the road. Yeah, the whole looking, I mean, as I said earlier, I I found this, 
to be so emotionally involving and if if he's if he was cast just for this episode it's such a great companion piece to the Laurie episode yeah um and in many respects they're both similarly desperately unhappy mm-hmm. um and that idea of nostalgia plays heavily on both of them haunted by the past unable to let go of it yeah um you know i forgot when we were talking about it aaron and i the other day I was kind of saying, you know, in the end, he flips on Angela, but I rewatched again and I had forgot. Now I finally got it the third time, which is that Keen does say he's going to kill Angela and her fan. Like, I'll have to take them out. Mm -hmm. So I hold out hope for Looking Glass. Yeah. I, I I hope that he survives this. I think he's a better fighter than maybe he showed us by entering the lair of, uh, of the, of the clan there by himself, which wasn't too smart, but I think he was just so caught up. I mean, he didn't even have his mask on when he entered too, which was really interesting. The, um, the whole interplay with the mask, like one of the things that really stuck with me is the looking through the mirror where they, when the person looks, they just see themselves, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and the idea that he's constantly hiding through his interpretation of other people, and yet he's completely unable to turn that on himself. Right. Um, right. And we see that, obviously. It's, a, it's the human condition. Mm-hmm. We yeah, see it all in ourselves and our he's friends. Like, he's and, like the psychologist who's, yeah. who cons, consults uh, – uh, pe- uh, people in in marriage therapy, but their own marriage is falling apart. Yes, yeah, right, definitely. <laughs> like he's able to to kind of give this persona of a, almost an authority when it comes to interrogating and getting to know others, and yet he himself is completely gullible to all of these forces. There uh, was a fun um, little uh, piece of trivia that I didn't pick up on when I was first watching was w- that the group that the girl. <clears throat> Excuse me, and those other boys that he approaches as a as a teenager in Hoboken, yeah, were a part of that kind of violent Rorschach group. That what were they? They had a name for them in the comic book. In the comic book, the, the punks, the, the yeah, the who, the ones who uh, who at one point, uh, um, uh, Laurie and. Uh, and Dan uh, beat up, and that's yes. kind of the night that they come together. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. They're like, they're like these anarchist type of groups. They're kind of like the Droogs from Clockwork mm-hmm. Orange. Yeah, they're like, yeah, a, yeah anarchist punk group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I definitely picked up on that. And at one point, I was even thinking if they were even characters in the original book, but I haven't t- had a chance to look back to go see that if, if they were. But they yeah. were definitely kind of cut from that same cloth. Um, so then, so then there's this, uh, this reveal. I mean, this episode was full of important reveals in that it looks like the way that the seventh cavalry and the police operate is as a, as a, almost like a controlled fire. You know, that, you know, when, when, uh, when firefighters set forests on fire in order to keep them, keep larger fires from happening, right? When they kind of clean the brush, it's almost like, the interplay between the police and the seventh cavalry is being led 
as a coalition, secret coalition, between Judd and Keene in order to kind of keep crime activity at bay. If if you stage it, it's it's almost like a whack the doll kind of uh, whack the dog uh, d- dog situation where they they create these controlled chaos. This image of there is a uh, 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 a white supremacist group that the police has to deal with, and so with that, it kind of keeps true criminal activity at bay. You know, if true criminals out there see that there's something else going on that somebody else is kind of taking care of it, and I can just side with that rather than take action myself, then it kind of helps keep control over any type of criminal situation. So Judd and Keen appear to have been in collaboration and leading these groups, Judd on the police side and Keen on the 7K side, not necessarily siding with their philosophy, but just using them as a way to kind of have this tip type of control chaos going on, which kind of you know brings into question everything that we've seen regarding the behavior of the 7th Cavalry and how much of it has been staged activity, how much of it has been manipulated by Keen and Judd behind the scenes, and that the, ultimately the true purpose of it may have nothing to do with with a, a pushing a white supremacist agenda. It may have it, they're, they're actually kind of manipulating that agenda in order to be able to kind of uh, you know keep this uh, level level of criminal control at bay. It's a little bit like a, the idea of something like the purge, where you just have to allow a valve. Re- it's a bit of a valve release on racial tension. In order to be able to keep uh, control of the population and yeah. keep everything at bay, so they haven't quite a hundred percent explained that, but that's kind of the way that I was interpreting it. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not a hundred percent sure that all the members of the Seventh Cavalry are aware that Keen's agenda is is not a white supremacist agenda necessarily. We're not a hundred percent clear on that, but I think he is in a way manipulating the group, and that maybe the group that we saw. In this particular episode, could be the the core inside team that is in charge of controlling uh, the seventh K, rather than the larger group of folks who maybe just think they're truly being uh, supported in their in their white supremacist agenda. Yes, as I had put on the Facebook, they didn't look like, and I said last episode, they don't look like local yokels. They look no. like scientists, and she, yeah. the radiologist, was right. a scientist and was right. intelligent. So they are, uh, they yeah. are, they are the ones in charge of the seventh K, but the seventh K aren't necessarily sure that they're uh, of what of what their leader's agenda truly is. Well, this so, is, I mean, we've talked about power structures and the first couple episodes, and especially the first episode, we spent a good amount of time talking about race and the construct of race mm-hmm. within a government system. Yeah. And it this is showing that other level, right? Which is that yes. there are probably a lot of people, and the Calvary probably is mostly made up of white supremacists who feel mm-hmm. this way, what they're saying on the talk radio and this and that, and they're angry about refredations. Right. But their anger is being used by people in power like Keen for a different reason. For a different reason. Yeah, he has his own team going on. And I think that it points to something that I was talking about from the beginning and the suspicions I had about Judd's death. And maybe Judd just figured, I can't do this anymore. Right. This was wrong for me to ever agree to this kind of uh, thing. Possible. Although the way that Keen is interpreting it is that Angela somehow messed up his plans by 
what he, you know, he he's at this point suspecting that Angela has something to do mm. with Judd's yep. death. So somehow the 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 balance has been has been sent out of whack by killing Judd because somebody who didn't know what exactly was going on behind the scenes got involved and killed him. Yes, uh, and so, he doesn't know, right? So the cavalry didn't right. kill Judd. Right, right. He knows that he he knows that the cavalry didn't do it, but he's trying to now root out the the factors that did to try to correct uh, what this delicate balance. You know, they had this very delicate balance going on. He potentially is at risk if the seven K were to find out that he's just manipulating them for some bigger political purpose. He could be at risk. Right. right? So it's a double risk. It so, exposes yeah, yeah. him doubly, and also. Let's not let's not forget if we're talking about this, which is basically factions within an organization. It could be that a separate faction of the cavalry did kill Judd. That it was them. It just wasn't people that Keen was in charge of. It was a kind of a factional group. Or yeah. of course, it could be that Judd is not dead. He's with True and Will, or that he made a, made a clone of himself and hung it in a tree. Uh, or gave to someone, I, but I, I, I guess all those things are possible. Yeah. But I, I'm thinking that the fact that he, you know, we have it has been made explicit that the seven K claim lays claim to their acts, um, and that he, you know, he he would probably try to control the narrative a bit here, and so trying to mm. focus away from this because yeah. again, this only puts Good unnecessary point. attention on the seven K, right? So if he's trying to kind of keep it just under the surface. Um, and make it look, you know, maybe you know, you, you you come up with some little incident so that the police can then have a win, a couple of wins, and that makes everybody look good. It's kind of like this back and forth interplay between the police and the seventh K, controlled by these two entities behind the scenes. Not unlike uh, the Emperor in Star Wars, controlling both sides of the war, kind of mm, thing. Yeah. Uh, so 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 you know, but so then now that Judd is out of the picture, that kind of throws an imbalance and makes things you know somebody else is meddling into something that they don't know what they're getting into. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, and that and, and it also kind of explains then why some Seven K members are completely expendable. Uh, you know, because I was thinking, well, you know, if if you if these are people that if this is all a ruse. Then you would want to make sure, you know you don't want to just put people's lives at stake, but there are some people who are expendable from the perspective of the seven k and from the perspective of the police. There's those in the know and those who aren't in the know, and so that's why you can you can have this an incident like the one where the the seven uh, k member was told to trap uh, to uh, to sequester or or kidnap Senator Keene during the funeral, and he can be killed off because he's just a patsy being used as part of the of the whole ruse, he wasn't aware of the larger plan going on. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, other interesting things too, is that we know that there's some link with true. We saw that under the lettuce in the, uh, in the truck uh, bed of the car, there were containers with the true logo on them. Uh, but how we still, uh, there's still a lack of clarity there between what is going on with their relationship with true. Uh, this idea of the batteries being collected. Are the batteries being collected in exchange for stuff from True? Like, is True providing them with the technology to put up those portals in exchange for the batteries that they're collecting? I, lo are, I love that you had this, that the batteries are are, are like kind of powering currency. it. Yeah. yeah. Or we, could the batteries be used to run those portals? Could Are, yes, are they collecting yeah. the batteries because they use them to run these portals? That, that, that piece is a little uh, dubious there as well. Because I think that 
when he says, I see you have a portal out there. And then that's when Looking Glass recites back to him what it is because it was it, that's what they blamed the yeah, New he, York he, squid on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he says, so, I think he says that they were banned. They were. Uh, yeah. And, and, and I, I didn't get the sense that it was that they, it's what they saw as the reason for the squid attack, but that. But that experimenting with that stuff was banned because of as, as a way to avoid creating a, a more serious incident. Uh, but I wasn't I wasn't clear on how that was presented. I, yeah, it got, I got the feeling the way he described it, and I'd have to like look at the uh, exact words that they blamed the squid that it was these experiments that caused the squid attack. Oh, okay, okay. Which and that's possible. why he knew like, exactly where it was, what building, when on okay. that day. And that make yeah, and and I mean, it, the the thing is, you would still want the blame to fall yeah. on the alien species in order to create the the unity across the world, right? You wouldn't want it to come back to being the fault. So it wouldn't be an accident necessarily, but maybe messing with the parallel uh, with, with the uh, with the technology led this alien race to want to attack our planet. It, yeah, and you see, it you could, know? but it could also play into, Roberto, the idea that after the attack and because of the rumors spread about Dr. Manhattan, that there was this kind of rejection of technology. Of technology, sure. That makes a so, lot of yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and then I think something that we, you and I had actually discussed all the way back in our deep dive of episode one regarding these uh, ongoing uh, regular squid falls was whether or not those were an after effect of the squid attack or some kind of ongoing tool to continue to yeah. uh, let, you know, just enough fear among the population to keep people uh, aware of, of the, of the, you know, remind people of the, uh, the squid incident. So, you know, we find out that Vate had uh, revealed all of this information about his plan to President Redford. He had actually predicted that Redford would be selected president because of his uh, plan put in action. And that uh, it looks like the Redford uh, uh, administration and all of, you know, all of those who are in the know within the administration actually actively uh, control the squid falls and let allow those to happen to continue to propagate that level, that that that, that su surface level of fear among the population, and constantly remind people of the importance of you know, uh, 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 you know, under subconsciously directing our attention towards the extra dimensional beings, as opposed to be you know to uh, cause more uh, uh, anxiety, anxiety, Which and, we and, see and, and in looking move, glass, the, move the focus yeah. away yeah. from us on Earth and perhaps, you know, inner fighting with each other and focus on the external uh, threat from the outside. And it, so that and, is and a it, huge deal. I mean, and talk about a conspiracy theory coming true. You know, I mean, you, <laughs> you hear all the time about the 9-11 yes. conspiracy theories that it was an inside job. Here we have proof that not only uh, was the whole thing a hoax, but that the government continues to promote the hoax. Yeah. Uh, and, so and it's it, a huge revelation for looking glass. And it's um and the way that it's rolled out here, and you when you think about the effect that that would have on not you see just this man, but an entire society, right? And and all the talk of Doctor Manhattan, where's he? Ooh, like everything's a mystery. Everyone in this world lives 
with a very high level of anxiety, mm-hmm. not knowing there is the the kind of utopian society that Vite wanted to create by exploding this psychic squid in New York and stopping World War Three has actually turned into something the exact opposite. He's just kept the world in an eternal state of anxiety, of never knowing when it could happen again, where it could happen again. And it's entirely frightening and demented and in no way freed – the human being, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's it's a Machiavellian approach yeah. to power and control, right? It's ruling by fear. Well, you know, th- this is the effect of generations of folks who are continued to be ruled by their own internal fears, yeah. and it shows the results. To, it's not a utopia built on actual human development and human mm. potential being realized. It is kind of forced upon us because of this irrational fears that this whole thing has created. And, you know, they say like people who are ruled by conspiracy theories and who are really into them and believe them, what that is, is really a giving up of any personal power, you know, Mm -hmm. to think that everything is the machinations of some higher power or structure that has control over you. And it shows a society. I I have no role to play in this. All I get to do is kind of witness what others are doing. And I have no power and my Mm -hmm. voice is meaningless. Right. And it, it shows in the desperation of Lori of looking glass, who are people who are in power, Mm -hmm. right. Who have, who have been touched by these people directly uh, even if it is Dr. Manhattan, but all, you know, it, yeah. it brings up the ideas of the, of Superman and what it means to have something like that actually exist to a normal person. And then to put on top of it, what all, what all these people have been through with mm-hmm. the Vietnam and Dr. Manhattan, the community, all this crazy stuff. Um, it is just a world that is constantly on the edge and it yeah. shows and it's kind of answers a basic question of Watchmen, the comic, which was, you know, that after the, for years, people, some people would say, oh, Vite did the right thing. He had to do it. Other people say, no, you had to play out the right way. It was too late. Had what had happened? But we see the results of in this TV show, the results of that of that psychic explosion are not positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has yeah. ruined the psyche of the it country. You, you can't build utopia on a lie. Yeah. Yeah. They paved so, paradise and put up a parking lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or, or maybe here they try to build paradise on a parking lot, but there's right. still a parking lot underneath. You, you, you still have to deal with what's lying underneath that. Um, so uh, so then we got this nostalgia. Now, it's really interesting that nostalgia is the name of this drug. Um, as we have speculated uh, from the show and, and confirmed with the nostalgia brochure, it is a true product, more than likely originated as a Vite product that True later developed. Um, in the original book, nostalgia was a brand of cosmetic products that mm-hmm. Vite sold as part of his uh, empire of enterprises. And what was interesting is that he had been selling nostalgia 
because it, and, and even the messaging around the the nostalgia beauty products was very similar to the stuff that it says on the brochure. I mean, it's almost like you can you can word for word take these uh, this information here. You know, the present is worrisome, the future is unknown. That only leaves the past to comfort us. That was kind of a, the tagline of the of the beauty products themselves. You know, look to the past to find comfort because mm. the present and the future are not. Uh, are worrisome. Yeah, anxiety. Uh, and, and part of what then he was hoping to do with the advent of the squid attack is introduce a new brand called Millennium, which would be future-looking, that, that would then be a, a line of products that would help line his pockets, but also would help then society look outward towards the future, towards the building of this future utopia after the November 2nd event. So... I'm wondering, we've just been introduced to the nostalgia drug here. Is there an equivalent to the Millennium Play coming from True? Is it has something to do with the Millennium Clock and some kind of, of, uh, of situation, you know, where she's going to use that, uh, that to, to send out, do something with people's minds and memories? Yeah. I think it's pretty evident that the daughter slash clone that True has is being intravenously fed something that's like nostalgia, where she is now recalling the memories of either the older true or perhaps even farther back ancestors. And so we have we have once again two you know products from this company, nostalgia and millennium. How are they supposed to kind of interplay? Are they supposed to interplay in a similar way that they were supposed to in the original book? I guess that's that's still to be revealed. But both are important uh, uh, names. Uh, you know, you, they're using these names intentionally in this show uh, in much the same way that they had their own uh, a purpose in the original book. Yeah. And now it made me think when and we talked, I think we said, uh, talked a little bit about this before we recorded um, that maybe the pet cloning company is also a true or Vite company. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, and uh, it makes you think that the other, oh, I should say, if you watch that, it looks like everybody who works there are, are clones. Or at least twins. They definitely have twins, uh, pairs of twins working at all the different counters. Yeah. Whether, well, whether or not know, they're, right? like that's whether another... or not they're engineered or whether or not they just said, hey, to work here, you have to have a twin because it's part of the image. We don't know. <laughs> yeah. We just don't know in this yeah. world yeah. how how uh, common clones are, what people mm-hmm. think about it. If they were clones, he didn't, no one seemed to, he didn't bat an eye walking in and seeing doubles of everyone, you right. know? So we just don't, or the dog too. And the, how careless they were carelessly killing the dog. Is right. that the way they think about clones? It's or? totally product. It's a complete, it's, it's yeah. simply, you know, it's a service for, for create, for replicating your pet. And uh, and if it's not exactly up to specifications, you just basically go back into the wastebasket. So, yeah. and you have, of course, uh, Phillips and Crookshanks. So I just start to think, how off is it for us to think that some of our other characters are clones, or that Judd's body was a clone, or how you know we just we it's a it's a little maddening. It's yeah. fun. But it's yeah. also a little maddening because just to kind of think about the show, it does right. make you kind of slow down and say, well, I guess we'll have to see because in this world, next episode, they could tell us 
this and that thing too, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. there could yeah. be a new millennium, like you're saying, could it make people see the future? If nostalgia was about the past, yeah. could this predict could be about the seeing future? The future? Or, Maybe. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, cloning and, and buddy doubles is something that uh, Lindelof played with in The Leftovers. Remember how there was that company that created artificial versions of the people you had yes. lost to kind of help you oh, cope yes. with that? Yeah. So I wonder if it has something along the lines of that. Maybe maybe she hopes to replace uh, the people who exist in this world with new versions of them that will be for the new millennium. Who knows? Uh, there might be some plan there uh, involving cloning as well. Um. And then we were introduced in the in the group, uh, the extra dimensional uh, support group. The idea of generational memory is introduced. That you know, there's a member of the group who wasn't born at the time of the incident of the psychic squid, but he it believes he has been traumatized by that event because it was carried through his mother's generational memory. Uh, and it's interesting that nostalgia is a drug that can truly do this. You can now take a pill, even though it's illegal for you to take the memories of somebody else. But it's interesting that that is something that, you know, you can literally do now is take somebody's memory, ingest it and relive those memories. So it's not just a generational thing, but now it's something that we can do through science. Take a little break, of course, to tell you about our sponsor, Cufflinks.com. You know, it's just looking over at Cufflinks and checking out their new stuff. Every time there's a new Disney movie, Star Wars, Marvel, they've got new stuff. And use that code Disney Plus to save 20% off your order all November long. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR. Elevate your style when you step out in the morning. Look good and feel good. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. I just want to thank you all for downloading and listening. And I do want to tell you that you can help support us by going to patreon.com slash DVR. If you're a fan of our podcast, you can get everything we do on your own RSS feed. You put it right into your app and you get it. All the podcasts ad-free, you get Old Lost Mythos Theorycast episode, the film list. Man, we got tons of special episodes that we're always doing and throwing on the uh, Patreon. So help support us. Go to patreon.com slash DVR today and become a patron for as little as like, what, three bucks a month and you'll get like seven podcasts a week. That's a pretty good deal. Go to patreon.com slash DVR today. All right, and then let's go uh, finish off with talking about Vite because it's always I always like uh, kind of focusing on on Vite's exploits in what turns out to be <laughs> Jupiter, or more to be exact, Europa, uh, one of Jupiter's moons, is where Vite is a- apparently trapped in. Uh, he he has uh, some kind of a uh, of a his prison, his his environment, European estate is some kind of a biome that exists in uh, one of the moons of Jupiter. And so he is able to finally break through the atmosphere, through the, through the barrier of this space, and, uh, and realize exactly where he is. Uh, interestingly enough, making another literary reference, Arthur C. Clarke, who uh, wrote the original screenplay for 2001 and followed up with a book called 2010, in, in 2010... Uh, Europa becomes the second place in our solar system to support life. And Europa has been a, a moon of Jupiter that has, uh, there's a lot of speculation 
that it could perhaps harbor life because of the amount of water that exists in the planet. Yeah. So um, it's interesting that that's the, the location where this uh, prison or estate or whatever this is, uh, where uh, where Veidt finds himself in is located at. And he did use the bodies to create a kind of life raft. Uh, he didn't use a life raft to float in, but he used the bodies uh, of all the Crookshanks and Phillips clones to create a message, an SOS, to be picked up by the Juno probe, which is a satellite that is currently in orbit around Jupiter. Oh, okay. So, so that's what that was. That's what that was. That's the the Juno probe is a satellite that it, that orbits Jupiter. Uh, was sent a few years back, and it's there, uh, you know, cataloging and and photographing and sending it data about Jupiter and its moons. Okay, so because it looked familiar, but you can never tell when it's like a satellite. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, and like, I, I, I I I did a little research online and cool. saw that that's what what it was supposed to be. So nice. Um, yeah. Uh, so then, you know, this brings into question a couple of things here. Uh, in the original book, Dr. Manhattan ends saying that he would go off somewhere in space to try to create his own life. Could Europa have been his first experiment in creating life? And that's why we have these lakes that give birth to these uh, uh, Philip and Crookshanks clones. And somehow it didn't quite work out. You know, he, he tried, but his experiments are kind of clunky. You know, we know that these are not the smartest clones, uh, that they don't have a lot of, uh, 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 you, that they have some issues with the way that they process information and retain information. Um, we know that they are not the creations of Vite. He has said so himself. Um, and could it be that, you know, as Dr. Manhattan has shown before in the past, this was another project that at first he was very invested in, but eventually he just got bored with it. And so he went off to do other things. And could Vite have been a part of that uh, initial process? I can, I, can, I can almost even see Vite at some point. You know, let's assume that the technology used for the phone booths was originally a Vite technology. Vite finds himself... Uh, broke after in the aftermath of the squid attack, his products tank in the market because nobody wants to, uh, you know, the technology revolution that he was hoping would happen never happens. So maybe he reaches out to Manhattan and says, Hey, I, you know, I hear you're having issues with, or I, I know you're trying to, you told me you wanted to create life. Uh, I'll go work with you. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck here on earth. I've lost everything. I've got nowhere to go. You know, Manhattan, help me. You know, like, so he, he reaches out to, to Manhattan and says, you know, I'll help you create life with my yeah. genetic engineering and your incredible intellect. We will do it. And so he sets him up in Europa and then forgets about him. So maybe he's not really trapped. Maybe he's just like, you know, like, like every so many things with Manhattan. Manhattan set him up in this lab and then just left him there. So I'm wondering if that's if that's what the ultimate fate of Vite is that Manhattan just basically at first uh, thought thought of him as a novelty to help him with his experiments creating life, but he just went off to do something else and Vite got got left behind. I love that, Roberto. <laughs> I think that that makes perfect sense and it plays into the apathy and how Doctor Manhattan was always doing like multiple things and not really mm -hmm. paying attention. You know, so I think that 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 works out great, man. Yeah, I love and that. And it even plays into a little bit. In, I mean, I, I can even see him like the inst the first time we see Vite in episode one, 
He's kind of celebratory, right? And the first thing he does yeah. is, I'm going to write a play about Manhattan, you know? So it's almost like he's getting back at him. Like, maybe they just had that argument right then, right before that. Like, Manhattan is like, I'm off to go do some other things. They say, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to prove you that I can do what we said we were going to do. And then Manhattan leaves him, and he's like, okay, this is my paradise now. But then the years keep going by, and he's like, crap, I'm trapped, you know? And so now he needs to be rescued from there. Because Manhattan has has basically left him behind. So curious to see how that's going to play out. And again, I am pretty convinced that all of those clones are based on John Osterman. And yeah. when, when we get to meet Dr. Manhattan, it's going to be the same actor who's been playing Phillips. I would bet that that's right. And um, I also think that this totally works out. And it could be and it, just like you were saying, you, you laid it out. Maybe he just was kind of like... Vite just got tired of it all too. The comp, the yeah. money, and the patent, and his the big right. thing like, that didn't work. And he's just like human beings. Whatever, I, I averted disaster. I'm done. I'm, and, done. I'm, yeah, gonna I'm just done with it. Life. I think that's yeah. great, man. I love and it. I, and then he kind of became a relic of the past, and even Manhattan forgot about him and left him there. I think that's really funny too. <laughs> that would go along with the kind of humorous nature of the situation and how those have been all pretty funny. I mean, there's something yeah. sick, but there, there now, is a humor in it. There's still a little bit of a mystery there. We're not sure about this game warden. And, you know, we know he's a Phillips as well. Uh, he seems that they, they seem to have their own agenda, but again, I think it might be part of their limited intellect. You know, maybe Manhattan had left all these players in play. Maybe they have their own kind of, way of looking at things and so now you know it ended up kind of grim for Vite getting beat up by these by these uh clones now i'm not sure that that's necessarily because manhattan is holding him there i'm wondering if they're just kind of like these mindless drones who see manhattan as their master and so they're just going to uh you know do whatever they their programming tells them basically to uh, keep Vite from trying to mess things up. But I guess we, we still have to see. It could still be that there is a motive behind Vite's uh, entrapment in in uh, Europa. Yeah, we shall see. But we'll I see. like that, dude. I think you, I, I think, I don't even think we need to see. I think you figured it out already. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, last week I was convinced it was true who had put Vite in Europa. And after this episode, uh, I think it's way more evident that it has something to do with Manhattan. But we'll have yeah. to wait and see. All right. Well, let's get into some feedback. Sounds good. Um, The first up is from Ben. Love what you do. Don't always agree with the theories, but who cares? It's fun to see how others take in the art, especially when they see things differently. I totally agree. That's right. That's the way we do it, baby. I read the comic as a kid and was stunned to see one of my faves, Rorschach, portrayed as a Klansman type. Then I went back and reread it. He kind of is. <laughs> Non-clan boys seldom call people race traitors. I think for myself, I missed the Alan Moore of it all and glossed over it because he felt like the hero. Of course, Moore was largely mocking the genre, so it sort of made sense that the two guys who were tipped into the biggest threat were a rapist war criminal, the comedian, and a split personality racist, Rorschach. Mm-hmm. You know, I I have to say that I think that this is something that a lot of people, and I think it's cool that Ben admits that, hey, when I was a kid, I read this, I thought, oh, he's got yeah. a, and people have said that, oh, he's a guy who really believed in, in justice, right? Mm-hmm. He's trying to solve the crime. He And he's also positioned as who we're following, our protagonist right. in a sense. Right, right. But 
of course, the deeper you go into it, you kind of read the signs, you know, and you see when it's there. And as you get older, you look at it and you go, oh my gosh. And that happens a lot in life, you know? And it's not so much that he's a bad person, but he's just a a conflicted, he's a a human being, right? I mean, he's a product of his upbringing. He's a product of the way that he was raised, a product of the kind of the philosophy that he developed through life. So, you know, he's just a broken person. He's not necessarily, uh, the way that he thinks isn't necessarily something that I think is malevolence for so much. It's just, kind of how he uh how he coped with the world that he lived in yes and i think that in cases like that uh it behooves us to have some empathy for those who don't have it even for us right um now you have to draw a line of course but sure you do it it's interesting and that's why i thought this was a great uh a, a great feedback here ben thank you and ben has a theory for us too what if the guy who needs to be let out used to that's being used to leverage Lori's help in the FBI isn't Night Owl 2 but instead is Dr. Manhattan. It would be a good bait and switch. That would be interesting um although um you know uh, at least so far as as was we as we know uh, we have a perception that Manhattan is out and about uh last seen on Mars but then again that could be also some kind of manipulation. So yeah. we'll have to wait and see. I yeah. had not considered this. And yeah. the idea that maybe, I mean, look, like we're finding out in each episode and when we read a PDPedia thing or whatever, we just take it and then yeah. we find out that there's other truths, right? That that yeah. the real truth, it could be that Vite made a deal with the government to, and and Redford, they said Doctor Manhattan's too too strong to let him be out there. We got to trap him, and then yeah. maybe they have him, and maybe now Vite is regretting it and thinking, oh, Doctor, they're letting they let Doctor Manhattan at least see the planets or something, right? To keep him occupied, he can look, but he can't leave. I mean, yeah, Vite was able to stop him from seeing the future and control him in some way. So there are yes. limits to Dr. Manhattan's powers. Yeah. Yep. The intrinsic field is something that he was able to use to uh, to to control Manhattan's powers. There so, you go. I like that. Um, you know, going going back to Ben's points about about uh, Rorschach and kind of the, the how, you know, he had he remembered him versus how he kind of reread him now i think it's interesting that we're coming back to how the seventh cavalry was presented in episode one and there was a lot of uproar from people saying wait uh you know why are they using rorschach to promote this you know to 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 uh have this show about about race agenda and white supremacy and all that and now it's interesting that in this episode we start to see wait a second, the 7th Cavalry is probably more like the original Rorschach than we think in that he may be, you know, it's not about the race. That, that the, the whole white supremacy thing is being used as a tool by the greater powers that be. So, uh, you know, don't. It, it's a show that kind of forces you to be not too quick to judge what you're seeing because you never know what's going to get revealed later on. Definitely. Mike says, just finished the latest episode. Holy crap, I am loving this show. Each episode seems to fly by so fast and requires almost an instant rewatch. Not sure if the timings work out, but could the satellite that captured the message from Ozymandias on the surface of the planet be the object that crashed on Earth in the last episode? A message to Lady True asking to come home, perhaps. 
the music was fantastic again, as, and as it has been through all the series. In this episode, we have several, not sure how many, but at least three that I heard, versions of the same song, Careless Whisper. In an episode that features cloning and duplicates, the twins working at the pet cloning place, for example, and alternate dimensions, what do you think Damon is telling us with this? You know, I looked through the lyrics of Careless Whisper, but I, I could not really kind of tie anything specific because Careless Whisper is about about a, a relationship that you know, uh, a cheating on a, on another person. Yeah. I, I believe you know that's kind of what the song is about. I mean, maybe maybe just the idea of being deceived. You know, you have an intimate relationship with somebody, and you are you are then uh, you then find out that that person cheated on you. So this idea of of being deceived that that there's layers of being deceived throughout mm. in, in a big way. This episode was a big reveal to us that. What everything we've seen up until now is not as cut and dry as we have led to uh, led to believe. Yeah, baby. Um, so maybe it's something like that. Maybe maybe this is uh, us now telling Damon Lindelof, uh, "I'm never gonna you know, dance again." <laughs> <laughs> yep, guilty no, feet no, have got no yeah. rhythm. <laughs> yeah. So now we're mm-hmm. the we're the ones who feel like we've been duped uh, uh, with all these reveals. Um, and then to Mike's point about could the object that crashed on Earth be the satellite? Well, again, if the satellite is supposed to be the Juno probe, I'm not sure that that uh, that it could have. I mean, and, and and we know that the timing of that incident when the when the object fell from the sky was right around the time of Judd's hanging. Um, that would have to have traveled very fast for the satellite to get there, and it would have needed would have needed something to push it out of the orbit of Jupiter. So Yeah, we don't uh, know the timing, but also yeah, those satellites timing. to come all the way back. Right. So and, it's very possible and you think about it, if the events of Vite are happening back in the past, if he somehow, you know, we see him do the do the the photograph, uh we, we see the Juno probe take the photographs um of the save me message. He is then pulled in back by the clones and beat up. But maybe this is still a few years before the crash. Could the next episode show Vite somehow rigging some machine to to uh, snap the satellite out of its orbit and lead it to uh, on a collision course with Earth? I'm not sure about that. We have to mm-hmm. see. I guess, I guess it depends on the timing. Um, and what we see, but it would have to get, it, he would have to be able to do something to the satellite for it to then, uh, you know, start that journey towards Earth because th- that probe, as far as I know, is locked in a, in an orbit around Jupiter. Yeah. And once it is, once it is done, you know, these things run on nuclear power and eventually they run out. Uh, typically they just crash land on the planet they're orbiting. So. Um, so yeah, but it's a, it's an interesting point if, if he somehow figures out a way to manipulate the probe and then send it back. Yeah, the idea, oh, the idea behind, behind doing the picture is that th- those are all images being sent back to earth right. from the Juno probe. So, right. uh, he's hoping that maybe somebody in earth will see that message. And we also, though we're getting, we seem to be getting a passage of years and time that he is inside of this bubble on Europa. We also don't know whether time flows at the same rate on the outside as it does on the inside, because if this was made by Dr. Manhattan, you know, you just hey, have I no just, idea. I just, of, I just thought of something. I just thought of something. 
So last episode, when Lady True took us into her greenhouse, we knew that she had great admiration for Vite. She had that statue built of him, right? What if ever since Vite left, she uh, you know, disappeared, she hasn't been aware of his whereabouts? What if this is sometime in the past, Vite sends this message, True gets the message, and somehow gets some kind of a ship to him there? And so what we see in the episode with True is Vite returning to Earth. That's more what I think it is. That's probably... I'm still on so, that, that it's Because him. she yeah. really wanted that plot of land, and she must have maybe even calculated it so that when the probe that he sent to him to bring him back returned, crash landed in that place. So it's very possible that what she's that she's the one helping Vite get back to Earth. Yeah. I, depending on I the timing. That makes a lot... So maybe next episode we'll see some kind of a probe arrive on uh on Veidt's, uh prison you know when things are looking dire for him and he's been beat up and perhaps uh, uh perhaps locked away by the clones maybe some probe will arrive that he will then have to escape to and get into and start his journey back to earth Ooh, and then that lines fun. up with that episode and then we have probably the last two episodes bringing everybody together including Vite. that would be a great way to kind of uh, see things uh, come together i like it I like it. Now we have our last piece of feedback from Bill Kava, the man himself. Any new theories on Judd? I find it curious we've seen both Angela and Lori sitting at his desk. Angela drinking out of an owl mug. Also, Judd flying around in an owl ship. Happy birthday, Roberto. Thank you so much, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> I added that very quickly at the end. Um, I think I am more entrenched, Bill, in the idea that Judd is not dead or sacrificed himself to get out of this agreement that he had with Keen. Um, I think he felt guilty about it. I think the kind of slow way he gets dressed, and I, I still, I'm still on that. Um, them sitting at his desk, maybe these are the good guys, you know? Is Bill one of our listeners who has been theorizing from before that there, that Judd could have been uh, Dan Dreberg himself? Uh, he may, Bill has mentioned a lot of theories. He likes okay. theories so like I'm us. I'm wondering if, if he's alluding to there being a connection to Dan Dreberg there. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to get to see Dan Dreberg or if perhaps – Perhaps there is more of a connection there. Maybe Judd is Dan Dreberg, but I, I don't think so. I mean, we you, you'd think that uh, Laurie especially would be kind of would hyper know. aware of yeah. that, right? So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Or It'd a clone. Be people, some people have said Judd was a clone of him, but then you have the whole thing of Gl Judd's parents and his yeah. dad and this whole, you know. So, I mean yeah. – it could go crazy like that, but I think it's really just more symbolism mm -hmm. and, and a metaphor for being the good people. For being the good guys, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Because All right. Laura, can I, well, before, let me ask you one thing about Lori. Yeah. We've talked a little back and forth. Where, for me, that is an ultimate question at this point is that I kind of can feel out different people. And um, even Looking Glass this episode, but with Lori, mm. I don't know how much she knows from Keen and from the past. I'm still, even with this arresting Angela and I bugged your desk and just like kind of not trusting Angela throughout, but I think maybe she does trust Angela. I'm just, uh, where do you stand on Lori? I mean, she's trying to get to the bottom of the initial crime, which is who killed Judd, right? And so she knows all along 
that she's hiding something, uh, you know, from the from the episode a couple of weeks back when she was saying, I saw wheelchair treads and all these things. Yeah. So she's just kind of slowly, slowly unraveling Angela's cover for what's going Doing on. Doing the work. I don't think she's necessarily uh, uh, thinks that Angela is guilty. But she wants to get to the bottom of why she's covering. And so part of what I think is going to happen next week with her having been apprehended and now her getting a chance to relive all of those memories from Will is that we will get some answers that Angela needs. And then that will that will perhaps then lead to her cooperating with Lori to get to the bottom of whatever Will's plan is with uh, uh uh, with uh, true, yeah, um, you know there were there are some hints in the te- in the trailer for next week that Will's uh, father may not have been, or or maybe it's Will himself. It's hard to tell from the trailer who's who in the flashbacks that we're seeing, but that there is some questionable stuff going on with that character. Uh, uh, maybe the choices he makes are not the best choices. Maybe the the philosophy he espouses um, has some dark side to it. Mm. And so that's part of, I think, what she's going to be witnessing as she goes through this mind trip. So this next episode should be very, very interesting. Yeah, and it can open her up to, right. to, to finding a space for Angela and Lori to work together. To because that's what I want. I want yeah. them to work together. I want them to be a kick-ass yeah, I, true I detective think- season I think Four. deep down they know they're in the same <laughs> side, but they are being protective of what's going on and yeah. wanting to get to know the they want to they want to know the information before they trust each other uh, enough to work together. Yes. All right. And uh, yeah, the little the trailer looked awesome. We are going to get deep into like I think it's going to be kind of a trippy. Like that Dr. Man, like I've been talking about that doctor, maybe not as crazy as the Dr. Manhattan one, the comic, uh, but you never know. It looks to be pretty That's awesome. True. There's that There's that one issue where time is completely yes, out of joint as we see yep. the world through Dr. Manhattan's view. It could very well be that this will play a similar role with all the memories playing out, you know, all, in all sorts of random order. One of the things that it says in the in the brochure for nostalgia is that the pills are color coded by the intensity of their memory. So I can't imagine if you just chugged a bunch of different ones. And so you have intense memories and less intense memories all mixed together. What kind of a trip she's going to be going on. Yeah. Tripping out, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and I well, think you had said that episode six was going to be kind of yeah. the, was predicted to be the big episode of the season. I got to say this episode was pretty good. I think this was my favorite so far. But I think we're getting into a point here where these next couple of episodes, the the, the one we just reviewed and the one coming up, are going to be critical uh, to giving us then the uh, setting the runway for the remaining uh, conclusion of the series. Yes, it's going to be a long, strange, well, a short, strange trip. Short, strange um, trip. And this was a great trip. A happy birthday again, pal. I hope you had a good time chatting with me. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. All right. Awesome. Well, I want to thank also Tito, Chorizo Slim for the theme music. Thank you, Ready, for the logo. I want to thank everyone who gave us iTunes reviews. We're going for 50. We got like 31 now, so I want 50. All right. We also try to hit 30 patrons. We got 25, so it's my 30-50 campaign. Makes no sense. It's just two numbers, but I like them. So uh, come on. Come be a patron. A dollar a month. You get like seven podcasts a week. And until next time, everyone, 
Enjoy the next episode. I'll be back with Justin and Hacks. Be back with Roberto next Friday. Aaron on Wednesday. Peace out. Those Saturdays, those were the days.